Before we start this special edition, just a quick shout out to Sora Shimazaki, whose photograph adorns the cover of the podcast. Let's get cracking. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly podcast and this special edition, which is on the money laundering reviews which have been undertaken recently. In the last couple of weeks, the government has published two post-implementation reviews of two sets of regulations, the Money Laundering Terrorist Financing and Transfer of Funds Information on the Payer Regulations 2017, which we'll call the Money Laundering Regulations for short, thank goodness, and the Oversight of Professional Body Anti-Money Laundering and Counter-Terrorist Financing Supervision Regulations 2017, the OPBAS Regulations, again for short. Bit of a mouthful, both of them. In addition to that, they've also published a freestanding review of the Money Laundering Regulations 2017. The publications indicate, after a few years of operation, how well the respective regulations are operating, but they also give an indication of where work remains to be done for the future in a bit of horizon scanning for those working in AML and CFT compliance. We'll start with the post-implementation review of both sets of regulations and then turn to Her Majesty's Government's review of the Money Laundering Regulations 2017. Both reviews provide background by way of the policy objectives behind both pieces of secondary legislation before turning to assess whether the policy objectives have been met. Let's start with the Money Laundering Regulations. The policy objectives of the provisions were driven by their founding documents, namely the fourth and latterly the fifth Money Laundering directives which came from the United Kingdom's membership of the European Union, which these regulations purported to transpose. First, the regulations were designed to make the United Kingdom's financial system a hostile environment for illicit finance, whilst at the same time attempting to minimise the burdens which might be imposed on legitimate business by such regulations. Under the regulations, businesses would maintain anti-money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism controls to accord with the Financial Action Task Force 40 and the additional nine anti-terrorism guidelines in order to improve detection and prevention operations by devising and implementing business-appropriate systems and controls. In terms of the success of the regulations, the review found that while the regulations have operated well, deficiencies remain in money laundering and terrorist financing risk assessment and understanding across the regulated sector. Specifically, those deficiencies relate to risk mitigation measures being taken by private sector operatives, with particular reference being made to inadequate customer due diligence or policies, controls and procedures as a common failing. You would think that customer due diligence would be the one thing that was fully in control, but as we've seen in recent cases involving money laundering, this has not always been the case, not necessarily in the UK, but as well overseas, where customer due diligence has often been soft-pedalled in favour of getting the money in, something which, of course, should not happen. Well, on a more positive note... 
the review notes improvements in the supervisory regime where the Financial Conduct Authority and Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs have reacted positively to recommendations made by the Financial Action Task Force um, Mutual Evaluation Review in strengthening their risk-based approach. I'll say a bit more about the Mutual Evaluation Review uh, later in this pod. Naturally, the government remains committed, of course it does, to a robust and presumably, because everything that it does has to be world-beating, a world-beating anti-money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism regime. So that's it for the money laundering regulations. What about the OPBAS regulations? Bit of an explainer at the beginning of this and then we'll crack on with it. The OPBAS regulations, perhaps unsurprisingly, govern OPBAS. <laughs> no surprises there. As I said, OPBAS. What is OPBAS? Well, it uh, supervises the 25 professional body supervisors in legal and accountancy sectors. So, for example, it's responsible for overseeing uh, the Association of Accounting Technicians, which sounds a bundle of laughs, the Chartered Institute of Legal Executives and Silex Regulation, the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants, the Council for Licensed Conveyancers, Faculty of Advocates, General Council of the Bar, Bar Standards Board, Law Society of England and Wales, Solicitors Regulation Authority, and so on and so on. I'm not going to go on because there's 20, 20 odd of them. 22 plus 3, I think it is. Uh, you get, But you get the idea. With that in mind, what were the policy objectives behind the OPBAS regulations? Well, they're detailed in the impact assessment, uh, and they were to ensure supervisory authorities complied with their anti-money laundering obligations to make the United Kingdom's financial system a hostile environment for illicit finance. There we are again. Similar theme, of course, to the money laundering regulations. Further, to address weaknesses in the United Kingdom's AML supervision regime, such as the need for greater effectiveness and to reduce unnecessary burdens on business. This is a theme which has been returned to time and time again about the compliance cost to business. And actually in the global press on compliance, the global financial press, there have been recent reports on the costs of compliance. I can think of one story coming out of Australia, particularly about the cost of compliance there. So it's a, it's a persistent theme, if you like. It's a persistent theme uh, in this area. Additionally, the OPBAS regulations sought to achieve a robust and consistently high standard of supervision by the PBSs, the professional body supervisors, that is, overseeing the legal and accountancy sectors and to facilitate and increase collaboration and information intelligence and best practice sharing between PBSs, statutory supervisors and law enforcement agencies. Broadly, the policy objectives have been achieved. Since its creation in 2018, OPBAS has made, quote, quote, significant progress in all areas, but there does remain work to be done. For example, there are some weaknesses in supervisory practice and especially around the effectiveness of compliance rather than merely focus on technical compliance. Uh, the consistency policy objective also needs to be addressed despite um, improvements which have been made. The benefits of information intelligence and best practice sharing cannot be emphasized enough when it comes to the fight against money laundering and this has been improved significantly thanks to much of the work which has been undertaken by OPBAS through such as the information sharing expert working groups. Finally, there have been clear improvements in the UK's supervisory regime and the PBS compliance with the money laundering regulations. 
That said, overall effectiveness of the regulations rather than technical compliance itself will be the focus moving forwards, at least that's what it seems to be. This is an interesting development since it indicates that a certain degree of flexibility might be part of the future framework, balancing the needs of the sector with the international obligations with which the government is so concerned to see it observes. The government has persistently said that it will observe the FATF regulations and the FATF guidelines when they are told to do so. And finally, the third document we want to look at is the review which was undertaken. Now, th these two reviews, these post-legislative reviews or post-enactment reviews, were undertaken or conducted alongside the review of the UK's anti-money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism regulatory and supervising, uh, supervisory regime review, which was undertaken by the government. Now, interestingly, if you've paid any attention to what's been happening in the United Kingdom in the last, well, two or three days, frankly, these this document was signed off by John Glenn, who was, until 11.05 on Wednesday, the 6th of July, the Economic Secretary to the Treasury. I haven't checked recently. He may have been reappointed following everything else that's happened. Uh, he signed them off. Uh, the review uh, have focused on Improving the effectiveness of the money laundering regulations 2017, the ones that we've already been discussing, ensuring the application of effective risk-based controls across the regulated sector and developing a world-class AML supervisory regime. Again, everything has to be world-beating. This recognises the unique threats facing the United Kingdom from illicit finance and reiterates the government's desire to protect the economy and ensure the UK remains a safe and prosperous place to do business. Uh, the UK as a destination for illicit finance is again a persistent theme of publications which have arisen in the last few weeks and months from special interest groups and other bodies, particularly in light of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we've covered these in previous editions of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. We can think of the uh, parliamentary, the all-party parliamentary group, which highlighted the United Kingdom as a safe space for illicit finance. And this is something that the government is certainly hoping to tackle with this review. Now, the review itself is structured around three key themes. Systemic effectiveness, which the report says is ensuring that as the government works to reform and improve the UK's regime, we have an agreed definition of what effectiveness looks like and some proposal on how we can start to measure this with more precision. This essentially involves the development of objective metrics by which we can measure effectiveness. It's not going to be easy that, and the government re recognises that in the report. Second, regulatory effectiveness, ensuring that those firms and individuals on the front line of the United Kingdom's fight against illicit finance are well equipped with a strong risk understanding and capability to implement effective risk-based controls within their business, as well as the scope to target that activity at areas of highest risk. And finally, and again I'm quoting here, supervisory effectiveness, continuing reform of the supervisory or supervision re regime, building on the improvements made in recent years, and there certainly have been, while assessing the rationale for further structural change to the regime. And so these are the themes around which the report is built. Now, the report recognises the simple truth 
that economic crime has changed. Uh, nowhere could that have been clearer than during the pandemic. Necessity, at least for the criminal, is the mother of invention. And the uh, select committee reports that came out and said the scale of the losses caused by fraud during the pandemic and the government's response to supporting businesses during the pandemic was extraordinary and in fact the unwillingness to recover the funds or the limited means of by which the uh, funds would be recovered was something that was criticized in those reports so economic crime does change it changes to mirror the availability of funds it changes as it needs to change consequently the review indicates that the national risk assessment of money laundering and terrorist financing and existing public private fora will be engaged to continue to assess emerging risks and potential changes to the scope of the money laundering regulations. The theme of public-private collaboration is one which appears in the National Crime Agency Strategic Plan, which is something we've looked at in previous weeks of the Financial Crime Monthly uh, Weekly Podcast. Um, and again, it's a theme that's not going to go away. This is one area where there is persistent relations between the public and the private sector to ensure that there is as robust a response to financial crime and particularly the fight against money laundering. Interestingly, and which links back to the OPBAS regulations discussion that we talked about, the review highlights the possible opportunities to depart from European Union law, especially on the money laundering regulations since the UK left the EU. Frankly, I, I think this is wildly optimistic since setting to one side the departure from the EU just for a moment, the UK does have to comply with other obligations internationally, the FATF guidelines on its uh, anti-money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism obligations. So, yes, I don't think there's much scope. I mean, the government itself has expressed in its response to the most recent mutual evaluation report and the recent update published by the FATF, which we discussed in the Financial Crime Weekly a couple of weeks ago, the government has committed itself to abiding by what the Financial Action Task Force expects it to do. So while some may see the departure from the European Union as an opportunity, it is an opportunity limited by other international obligations. One area where I do agree some changes could be brought about lie in relation to sp suspicious activity reporting. This is, a again, a persistent theme, and they are flagged in this review. They've been reviewed in other areas, and there is a demonstration of a willingness to look at the problems generated by defensive compliance and the overmaking of suspicious activity reports. Further, and perhaps allied to the SARS point, the government indicates a commitment to look to see what can be done about the difficulties faced by small or new challenger firms when it comes to ri the risk-based approach and the understanding of risk in the business that they will do. Again, and possibly allied to that, the government has committed to look at whether support can be offered to businesses to increase their effectiveness, e.g. in relation to the use of technology, for example, to facilitate compliance management. I am forever getting emails in my inbox and forever being invited to sessions on the use of artificial intelligence to make compliance easier and more straightforward, make my, the, the systems more, 
more more uh, robust. Uh, so again, it's something that the government is clearly looking at. So in terms of specifics, the government is committed to supervisory reform and it will consult and offer a range of reforms on that point. The scope will, in all probability, I think, be limited, but uh, I think it will certainly focus on SARS, as I've said. In terms of the money laundering regulations, these are probably as needed to comply with the FATF recommendations, although they do remain under review and broadly they received a, a decent bill of health under the post-legislative review. However, as indicated, any moves in this area will really only be tinkering at the edges rather than representing any significant change as to what is done at the moment. To aid the improvement of the money laundering regulations, the government commits to an improved range of metrics in order to assess the effectiveness of the regulations, though this could pose a challenge. Putting these metrics together is not going to be straightforward, and that, I think, is something the government will have to work on quite carefully and, indeed, in liaison with those who operate in the sector. Risk measurement and assessment will continue with the, as I said, the National Risk Assessment of Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing, and further, this public-private partnership which is developed in the area will continue. That is important. The compliance benefits that can come from this public-private arrangement cannot, I think, be emphasised enough. No national priorities will be set, but there will instead be a focus on a system-wide effort to improve risk understanding and information sharing around risks and threats. This seems certainly very sensible and likely, I always hesitate to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, I think it's relatively cost-neutral. Existing guidance will be clarified to make it more, quote, streamlined, streamlined, consistent and clear. There is a tone of evolution, not revolution, about this documentation. So, of all these documents, overall I think the picture painted by these reviews is a broadly positive one, indicating that the regulations are operating at a reasonably high level of effectiveness and currently well understood by those operating in the affected sectors. That said, there is scope for some improvement, especially in relation to SARS and the use of technology to improve efficiencies in the regulated sector. In terms of a radical overhaul, there is limited scope for that. The withdrawal from the EU may present some limited opportunities, but what opportunities may be presented are frequently deleted by the other complex of international obligations which bind the United Kingdom to the international community and its fight against money laundering. Thanks very much. That's it for this special back, as usual, on Sunday. <laughs>